Welcome to Words with Logan and Friends, a podcast where we talk about sports, life, and a variety of topics submitted by you, the listener. My podcast is now available on all streaming services. Welcome into a bonus episode of Words with Logan and Friends. And it's going to be quite the long one. So if you have any interest at all in fantasy sports, fantasy football specifically, this is definitely the episode for you. To start with, I'm going to kind of talk about how I got into fantasy sports. I'm going to give some tips for fantasy owners or people that are interested in fantasy that have never played before. I'm going to talk about some of my favorite leagues that I'm in. I'm going to talk about dynasty football. And then afterwards, I'm going to bring in my friend Will, who is going to talk about our Dynasty League and then also give some advice for anybody that wants to play Dynasty and why they should play Dynasty. So without further ado, I'm going to talk about why I got into fantasy sports. He ain't never going to be able to figure this out, coach. Yes, he is. So why I got involved with fantasy sports, it all actually started my senior year when I was in physics. And I started a fantasy league out of physics with a bunch of people that I knew. They were seniors just like me. The thing I love most about fantasy football is it gives you an understanding for the entire league rather than just your favorite team or your favorite players. I am the commissioner of most of the leagues that I'm in. I love that organizational piece. And again, it's one of my biggest passions is fantasy football. So it kind of goes hand in hand. My goal is to give as much content as I possibly can. So I always go above and beyond to do things through spreadsheets. For those that really want to stay intrigued in the league, it is a good way to keep people involved as well. There are so many different fantasy leagues and fantasy aspects I have on spreadsheets that people say you can very easily find on the internet but I really love having it at my fingertips. It's a great way for you to follow the NFL, even if your team may not be the best or is having an off season. It's a great way to stay involved and intrigued with the entire league. So after this, I'm gonna talk about 20 tips I have for fantasy and more specifically redraft fantasy owners. Today I have 20 tips that I'm gonna give. The first tip I'm going to give is you want to do 12-team leagues. I think 12-team leagues are the most balanced. Unless every single team drafts very, very bad, you will not have one team that is over-the-top good. When you get to 10-team leagues, it looks like every team is very, very good. 8-team leagues, even worse. On the other side, then, if you do 16- or 20-team leagues, there's less talent available You have to wait longer when it comes around the clock to you for your next pick. Also, the better players in a league, the chance of you getting them via trade is very, very low. I have done a 16-team league before. It's really, really bad for two specific reasons. I already told you about the diminishing value on picks, but addition to that, you can run into a lot of owners that show roster negligence or just don't care about the league and it takes away the longevity and the pride behind your league. 
The second tip I have is choosing the correct platform. I've always done ESPN because it was the only platform I've known. All the leagues I've done have been on the ESPN. ESPN's known as the worldwide leader in sports. But over the years, I've realized how many problems ESPN fantasy football really has. Primarily coming from the amount of bugs that they have and the amount of time it takes to fix them. Also, it's not as user-friendly as some of the other platforms are. The layout on desktop is not as easy to follow. And the recent update that they did on the mobile version is not good. The only thing I really, really like about ESPN is their GameCast system where you can follow games. You can see specifically the players that are involved in each game that you have or your opponent has. But outside of the GameCast, I don't like ESPN at all. I have moved majority of my leagues over from ESPN to Sleeper. Another website I would suggest you avoid is NFL.com. It's quite ironic because it's the fantasy football teams that you're watching's professional league. However, their platform is horrendous. It is by far the worst platform that is out there. And I strongly recommend that you do not use NFL. Yahoo is really good. I like Yahoo a lot. I know a lot of people use CBS Sports as well. Flea Flicker is another one that's very mobile friendly. But my favorite by far is Sleeper. When we think about how much people use their phones, awesome interface, very easy to track players. The only negative I have with Sleeper is the GameCast. So if I could take ESPN's GameCast and bring it into Sleeper, man, Sleeper would be untouchable. And if you're a commissioner, you should be able to have that power of, hey, we're going here. If you don't want to, that's fine. I can find someone else to take the league. I have two leagues. I'm planning to do that. It's a make or break. You don't want to play, fine. I'll just go elsewhere. I have plenty of other leagues I can join. The third tip that I have is regarding the team that you are a fan of. Living in Wisconsin, I play with a ton of Packer fans. And over the years, I've seen how overvalued Aaron Rodgers is. We know that Aaron Rodgers is an outstanding quarterback. He's an outstanding fantasy quarterback, or he was. Now he's kind of falling off with age. If you're a Packer fan, or if you're a Carolina Panther fan, you're a Detroit Lion fan, Minnesota Vikings, etc., you need to put your alliances and your fandom aside when it comes to a draft. If you overvalue a player, you're going to be giving up a lot of talent and a lot of depth just to take someone that you may be a fan of. You still can't get Rodgers in any round that's not the top four. It doesn't matter what the scoring is for quarterback and passing. He just isn't going to be there because people just want him. I'm not saying you can't win a championship with Aaron Rodgers, but same thing goes for me. I'm a huge Melvin Gordon fan. I do have a sour taste in my mouth now that he left the Chargers in on a very bad note. When you think about the running back, low shelf life, They'll complain about their money. When you think about professional athletes, they're already getting millions of dollars, so it is not good to the public eye in that aspect. You can get a good running back for the draft and only be paying them six figs rather than in the millions, and they'll do the exact same job for you. They're younger. They have less injury proneness. For Melvin Gordon, that'd be like me. Now that he's with the Denver Broncos, taking him in the top three, four rounds just because I like him as a player. I can't do that now because he's in a 50-50 timeshare or around 50-50 with Philip Lindsay in Denver, who is a stud as well. So putting alliances and fandom aside is incredibly important when you are drafting. 
also thinking about that in trades. Don't just go and trade for a player because you're a fan of him and then give up a lot of capital and a lot of your good assets either on the bench or in your starting lineup just to get that player. My number four tip is to think briefly about bye weeks and more so look at matchups. Now, you might say at the initial draft, oh, I don't want to go ahead and I don't want to draft everybody that has bye week six. I don't think that's necessarily a good approach to take if the value's there for the players because it's just one matchup. A season is usually 12 to 13 weeks. And you don't want to go ahead and just say, I'm going to draft based off of bye weeks. So briefly look at bye weeks. Again, it's only one matchup, but more so about the matchups. Now, if we think about some of the top corners in the league, Tredavious White, Stephon Gilmore, Xavier Howard, Marshawn Lattimore, Richard Sherman, etc. If you think about the Arizona Cardinals last year, they were historically bad against the tight end. If I see that there is a stream option on the waivers in tight end position, they're playing the Arizona Cardinals, I should be able to look at that and say, hey, is this a better option than my every week starter? If so, maybe I want to put a bid down on that player. Right now, if we look at the Patriots, they have one of the top defenses in the NFL. But they're one to two injuries away from that completely changing. That narrative completely changes if you have players that are traded, injured. It's on a week-by-week basis. Don't just go ahead at your draft and say, hey, they're in the AFC East. I don't want to draft any of this position. My number five tip is to always have more wide receivers than running backs in your starting lineup because the wide receiver position is so much deeper than the running back you're going to be able to find really solid wide receivers later in the draft that are still startable on a weekly basis if i'm looking at a wide receiver four on the season and he's ranked 38 he's still probably going to have some good value compared to running back 38 where running back falls off a cliff after about the first 15. Look at past target counts. Michael Thomas, I know this is a historical example, but his target count last year was off the chart. If a player is getting targeted, they're going to produce if you're in some sort of half point or full point PPR league. Will Fuller doesn't get that many targets. However, he'll score off of you know a 40, 50, 60 yard touchdown and maybe he'll have three, four catches, and it looks like it's good on a weekly basis, but those players are much more risk, so you might have a complete bust game with that player versus someone that's really consistent, such as Robert Woods, that puts up you know five, six, seven catches every single week. Those players are more consistent. Those are the players you probably want on your team. My number six tip is know how your league's waiver system works. In the past, I've played in leagues where it's just Okay, 12-team league, you have waiver claim spot number five. If you want a player and the four players above you do not take that player, you get them, then you reset. You go to 12. You got to prioritize who your waivers are in that case. In another case, then, we have fab money. And fab money means you're given a set amount of fake money to use on a season-wide basis, and you decide how much money you want to put down on the player You don't have to waste all your money. It's just there for your asset. Not overbidding if it's not a player that's going to be given a guaranteed workload as well. My number eight tip then is to wait off on quarterback. This is one of the biggest tips that people violate all the time. Examples, Patrick Mahomes. 
He was going in like the first two, three rounds in a ton of leagues I was in. That's a big time mistake. When you think about Patrick Mahomes, yes, he's a beast. Look at how many games he played last season, though. Obviously, we can't predict injury. However, you can find value at the end of the draft that's going to put up pretty similar numbers. Examples I'll give you for this upcoming season are Ben Roethlisberger and Matthew Stafford, both outstanding quarterbacks when it comes to fantasy football. Both of them were injured for most of the season. They're going to be drafted very late. I'm not saying wait off and only draft those players, but there are a lot of players that are going to have a high potential that are at the end of the draft. Rather than you using one of your early picks on a quarterback that, yes, he's going to put up big numbers, but you only start one quarterback. My number nine tip is no one on your roster should be untouchable. So listen to all the offers that you are given. If I'm offered for Christian McCaffrey, yes, it's going to be very unlikely that I would trade him. However, if the price tag is very high on a player, there's a chance that you might be helping your depth by getting rid of that player, even though he's in the top tier, to help you at other positions. Think about Christian McCaffrey. He's at the one spot in most drafts or Saquon Barkley. You don't have a pick until 24 and 25. Yes, those second and third picks are going to be really good. But if you can get two top 10 or top 15 players, you're helping yourself much more than just keeping that one player. My number 10 tip is if your league has them, do not draft kickers and defenses in any other rounds but the last two. I don't care if you have one of the top kickers in the league. Rostering two is ridiculous. So I strongly recommend that your kicker is taken in the last round of your draft. For defenses, I'm okay with some people rostering two defenses on bye weeks, but that's only if they're one of the top tier defenses. If they're not, you can drop them. Oh well, if someone picks them back up. Defense and kickers are the most streamable positions in fantasy football. My number 11 tip is to avoid positional waterfalls during draft. Let's say it's the seventh round and there have been four or five tight ends going right in a row. Do not feel obligated to take a tight end just because that's happening. There may be a player that just continues to fall with this waterfall effect happening. And then you can just scratch the position or punt the position and just stream on a weekly basis. On the opposite side of things, in the early rounds, you're going to see a ton of running backs fly off the board. That's perfectly fine because those are the positions that you need. I would just say stay cognizant in terms of who is falling at that current place. Number 12 tip, draft running back handcuffs for stud running backs, especially the running backs that are very vulnerable in fantasy. So that would be the ones that have medium to high injury risk. Two I can think of right off the bat are James Conner and Delvin Cook. Especially Delvin Cook, knowing how much they utilize the running back in Minnesota. That also goes with the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys use the running backs a lot, even though they have a potent passing offense. So Tony Pollard, if I have Zeke, is a must. You can even go ahead and draft them a little earlier than they should go, just to assure that you're going to get that player so that when Zeke, if he would go down, you have that clear top five running back in your back pocket. Tip number 13, if you are commissioners, boot team owners that utilize roster negligence immediately. We had that happen in our Dubs Finest League. We had someone that just didn't want to play. They were cutting people that shouldn't be cut. You need to get rid of that immediately. You don't want that in any part of your league. It's going to cause headaches for other owners, 
as well as for yourself. Tip 14, do not use week 17. I've done it once in the past. You get people that are mad because you have so many people that are either injured or being rested because they're already in the playoffs. You have players that are going to go into off-season surgery early. They take the week off. You don't have your standard fantasy players playing in week 17. If you are in a league and you're not a commissioner and you see that week 17 is being utilized, I would immediately press forward with saying that that cannot happen or you're not going to be in the league. I wouldn't want any part of it. Tip 15, find your way to stay up to date on news. This may include if you have Twitter, turning on notifications for Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, NFL people, it can be fantasy people, so that you are well aware of injuries, trades that may happen. If your league utilizes a waiver system in which it's first come first serve after Wednesday, that is crucial that you have those notifications on. If you're on continuous waivers, it's not as crucial. However, you're still gonna get the news early and often. Especially with how differing our work schedules are, you may have someone that doesn't work first shift, they work second shift, and they're going to get that player because they're awake or they're not at work. So think about that. Tip 16 in redraft leagues, drafts should not be conducted prior to the preseason. Andrew Luck, that is an extreme, unusual case, but let's say that one of your players gets cut or gets injured or retires early in a redraft, there's no going back. In a dynasty, it's okay you can take the hit because you have so many other players that can play at that position. Tip 17 regards Matthew Barry from ESPN. Do not follow the curve that Matthew Barry is a fantasy Jesus. He's far from it. So if you do a Google search right now and you look at fantasy accuracy rankings, ESPN has had one person in the top 75 in the last five years. That came last year with one of their analysts taking spot number 30. Don't just go off of someone's ranking. If you want a specific person that is very, very accurate, take a look at Justin Boone. He is from The Score. Justin Boone has been in the top seven all of the past five years. He has been in the top three, including two number one finishes in the past three years. So there are other people out there that spend a lot more time than just being hired by ESPN. It's like the Joe Lenardi effect. So many people believe in Joe Lenardi just because he's hired by ESPN. Looking at different perspectives is very, very important. Tip 18 is knowing your league's scoring format. I strongly recommend, and I hope that you're not in any standard leagues where you don't get awarded for any catches. In those leagues, though, you would award the running backs that aren't in the passing game because touchdowns are most important. This also includes if you're in a half-point PPR. Half-point PPRs, that's the most common at this current point. Full PPR, those are for people that like high-scoring games. And for those, you're going to look at people that get high target counts, as I mentioned before. Other leagues with tight end premiums, maybe they're getting a point and a half for every catch by a tight end. And those leagues, I would value tight ends more than some of the top-tier wide receivers, especially the elite tight ends. And then also, is it a four-point or a six-point for passing touchdown league? In a four-point league, I'm now going to be looking at quarterbacks that run more as my premier talents. But in six-point, it's pretty even game. You get a six points for a passing and a running. Lamar Jackson's, their value is kind of diminished in a way there. Tip 19, do not 
veto trades in leagues. I did it for the last three years. I strongly suggest you don't do it because you cause too many arguments unless there is one-sided affair or collusion existing. There's no point in vetoing a trade because we all have different mindsets. You may have someone that's not good at fantasy football, but they may also like a player, as I mentioned before. Okay, let them do that. Let them have their players that they like watching because that's the reason they want to have them on their team. My final tip is rookie wide receivers. Rookie wide receivers do not produce consistently. After year one in their sophomore year, that's where players tend to break out at the wide receiver position. With that in mind, I'm not saying don't draft wide receivers, but if we look last year at Nikhil Harry, yes, he was injured for most of the year. However, he was a top end pick. And even if we look at Julio Jones in his rookie year, Michael Thomas in their rookie year, all of those elite players now, they don't produce in their rookie year. They need time to develop to the game and polish their talent to revolve around NFL corners because they're substantially different than college. Example this year would be C.D. Lamb. Yes, he is one of the elite talents coming out of this draft. However, he's going to be dealing with target shares with Michael Gallup, Zeke even, Blake Jarwin, who is an upcoming tight end, and Amari Cooper. As a result of that, I'm not saying don't draft him because A.J. Brown, he broke out at the end of the season. But early on, if they're not accustomed to the NFL game and they're not given the wide receiver one, there's no one else around them, typically they do not produce as well as you would like them to do. So those are my 20 tips about redraft leagues. I'll be back right after this to talk about some of my favorite fantasy football leagues. So my goal here is to talk about my three favorite leagues, some highlights that we've had over the last few years, and then I'm going to mention just a few other leagues that I've been a part of that I enjoy. So my first league is Dub's Finest, and Dub's Finest is my favorite league for redraft purposes because it's the league I've been a part of for the longest time. So it is commissioned by my friend Joe. He started the league our sophomore year. Just to summarize who has won titles in our league. We have Randy, we have Steve, we have Doug, we have St. Peter who won by 0.1 points, and then we have Ryan. So those are all one-time champions. And then we had Zach win two. He was on the edge of a three-peat, however, your boy got in his way and stopped him from completing the three-peat. I have been an original member, and I am the only team that has made the playoffs every single year. On the opposite side of the stick, Ryan has missed playoffs every single year of the seven-year existence. I have no clue how that even happens. Some highlights I can remember from this league so far is back in 2015, I ended up keeping Zach Stacy over Marshawn Lynch, and this was in the middle of Marshawn's prime. Somehow I still ended up sneaking into the playoffs. I had a running back named Trey Mason, who was also on the Rams, and I ended up streaming him in the playoffs as my running back one because of so many injuries and trades that I made to the point where my roster was horrible during the playoffs. The second highlight I can remember is Mike. He actually didn't want anything to do with fantasy football. He said it was too hard or too much time to follow. 
strongly disagree. But Mike dropped his entire roster and only picked up Northwestern players. He was removed from the league immediately. I'm sure that it was stressful for, for Joe as commissioner. The third memory I have is we had Carly, Joe's now wife, join our league. And she was the only female we've had in our league thus far. A lot of people were like, this is just Joe's burner team. But I know that Carly was really competitive and she really was a solid add to our league, but then dropped out. I know we're probably going to have one person leaving our league. So I'm hoping that Carly can potentially come back. Our league is now 10 teams as well, which is a little bit sad, but we had some of our long-term members leave us. Another memory I have is the chicken mask punishment. Our first year of existence during sophomore year, the chicken mask, I don't remember who owned it, but whoever scored the lowest amount of points on a week had to wear a chicken mask in the following week while watching Sunday's games. So it was an added incentive to do well in the league and stay competitive, even when your teams are bad. And then the last memory I have is Joe. He went 11-2 and in a very historic season, and he ended up completely flopping in the first round of playoffs. His roster included as follows. Big Ben Roethlisberger, who was quarterback 20, okay. That's his only weakness, though. Devontae Freeman, running back 1. Doug Martin, running back 3. D'Angelo Williams, running back four. Antonio Brown, wide receiver one. Allen Robinson, wide receiver four. DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver six. Jordan Reed, tight end three. Cardinals defense, defense one. Brandon McManus, kicker nine. Also was on his team, Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey. And he ends up getting upset in the first round. The second league I wanted to touch on was my league. I created three years ago now, which is titled the Goons League. The Goons League is me and basically a bunch of Brookfield kids. So the champions we've had so far are one-time champions in Isaac, Ivan, and Conrad. Conrad won last year on the back of Christian McCaffrey. Some pretty preposterous picks that happened in some of our drafts include Justin Tucker, a kicker, drafted in the seventh round. Aaron Rodgers was taken with the third overall pick in our inaugural draft. That was quite comical because we only have four points passing touchdowns for quarterback. And then Ben drafting Jarrell Adams by mistake. I think he was trying to search Devontae Adams and ends up drafting the fifth string tight end for the New York Giants who had like 2.4 points on the season. Another comical moment included Ben rostering Ted Ginn, who was on the IR. We did not have an IR spot, and he had been out for the first 10 weeks, and he kept him on his roster that entire time. A matchup that I, and I know Danny Slackey will for sure always remember, was the year that Duck was a horrible team. He destroyed Slackey, who was on the edge of making the playoffs. And the game only came down to Eli Manning, who I know D. Slackey is going to hold a grudge against for the rest of his life. Another highlight is the infamous LMR, Logan Michael Rankings. I ranked each team based off of how many wins they had, how many losses they had. Their points for, their strength of schedule, their best possible roster. Did they actually set that on the week? And from that, I did a power rankings for each of the members that were in my league. There was a lot of controversy surrounding it and also a lot of criticism surrounding it. 
So I completely got rid of it. But it was comical because everybody would like say, oh my gosh, we need the LMR. Where am I going to rank on the LMR this week? And it was just pretty funny to hear everybody do some banter with that. However, there was a lot of critiques of the LMR. I even used it as a tiebreaker one year. It was like the fifth or sixth tiebreaker. But there was so much criticism of it. I just completely got rid of the LMR. It will not be coming back due to a couple people just completely ruining the LMR and the potential for it to come back. So the LMR is dead. It will not come back ever again. Rest in peace. We also had quite a moment with the hashtag free Dom movement. Dom is one of my really good friends. He was in our league when it first started. I went to Whitewater with him. He's from Sheboygan. Dom disappeared for quite some time. And me, Conrad, and Billy were going to go with him to the Browns and Packers game. But uh, let's just say Dom is not reachable anymore. And as a result of that, we needed to find a new league owner. So many people were putting like hashtag free Dom. Dom was innocent in their team names. It was quite comical to follow the free Dom movement. Another one I put in here that was just kind of pointless, but also a really funny move was when Ben picked up the Dolphins defense and he traded them three days later in just like a completely useless move. They're ranked like 23 on the season. So he picked the Dolphins D up as a, streamer and then ends up trading them the one that is the most controversial and fishy to this day and i can't believe it's not being talked about more was the 3 a.m picking up of philip Lindsay from waivers and then immediately dropping him so we had isaac claim philip Lindsay through waivers the moment waivers ran about 10 minutes later isaac drops him ivan picks him up the very next moment and then Philip Lindsay goes off for the rest of the season. Quite a preposterous and also fishy move that no one really talks about, but definitely one of the biggest highlights and biggest mysteries that will go unsolved in the Goons League. The final memory I'll always have is when we added in our punishment. So a last place punishment. We have three rules. It cannot do physical harm. It cannot be illegal and it cannot put your job at risk. So we did our first punishment. Ben took last place, and his goal was to take a doll of some sort, you know what I mean, on a dinner date. And Ben had to buy dinner for both himself and the doll. No one else could come with him. He could wear a shirt that said, this is a fantasy punishment. He had no limitations in that aspect. But he had to go to a restaurant of his choosing take the doll on a date with him, and then buy a meal, pay for the bill, and then get his picture taken. Well, quite sketchy, actually. Ben got his picture taken with the doll, and our favorite quote of all time from the league came from Ivan. When the picture was released, Ivan said, those are some dusty-ass links. To put this into perspective without actually sharing the picture... Ben took his doll on a date on what looked like a dungeon of an apartment complex. And in that apartment complex, he had his doll across from him. He had a plate that looked like it came from his cupboard and sausage links that looked like they were just microwaved. So it was kind of sketchy. And we unanimously voted that this was not what the requirement was of the punishment. 
Ben was told he had until X date to redo it, otherwise he would be removed from the league. Ben was quite the comedian in our league, and I, I do miss having him in our league, but rules are rules, and the rule was broken. It was unanimous that he was voted out. Mark took last place last year, and his punishment was he had to run a 5K in whatever costume we gave him. However, he has not been able to do that punishment yet as of COVID-19 canceling all of the 5Ks. He has not survived the punishment yet as that will be coming once he is able to do so. The third league I wanted to touch on was the Gauntlet slash Elimination Chamber. These are called guillotine leagues and how it works is one member is eliminated every single week until you determine a champion. For season one, we had 17 weeks. So we used all 17 weeks we eliminated one person a week because there was 18 teams. In season two, however, we eliminated two people in one random week. For the gauntlet, we had two eliminations in week 16, and then for elimination chamber, we had two eliminations in week eight. Now, I have actually merged together both elimination chamber and gauntlet. It's gonna be a 32 team league. Every single week, there's gonna be two people that are eliminated until our championship, which happens in week 16. It will be two people left and a champion will be determined from that. So I'm looking forward to it. One quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, a flex, a kicker, and a defense. And then you usually have very shallow benches as it is elimination league. And a lot of the people, eventually the rosters are just completely stacked because there's not many teams left to make bids on them. I also implemented a waiver system known as FAB where you bet money on players it's the best way to avoid ties. And for weeks that had ties, whoever has the highest average amount of points on the season, they are awarded with the player. Our champions thus far in year one were Billy over Justin and then me over Dusty in the other league. And then in the second year, we had Steven and then Kayla. I am looking forward to, however, having a 32 team league. Some other leagues of note include the ME4BAAH, which is an acronym for a bunch of softball sponsors that we've had over the time. It's me and a bunch of friends from back home, as well as some guys that I've played softball with. We started as a 12-team league. We tried a 16-team league, and it was horrible, as I mentioned before. Then we moved it back to a 12-team league. And the reason it's not in my favorites is we've gone through so many owners. It is still competitive, though. Unfortunately, we're going to be needing to remove another fantasy owner this year as this person is just an overall not good person. I had to kick him from my Dynasty League because he was harassing some of my other members. He will be getting the boot and we will be needing to find another replacement this season. Another league of note is a Vampire League I tried last year. In a Vampire League, it's 12 teams. can be 10 teams as well and all but one team drafts. The team that does not draft is considered the vampire. They don't draft at all. They're the only person that can pick up from free agency. They don't have to put in waiver claims. No one else can except for them. And then they build their team through that. The other catch is if they win a matchup, they have the ability to swap one of their starters with one of your starters. So example, if I picked up a free agent and I beat a team that had Saquon starting, I can swap and I can take Saquon for the rest of the season. So that's the benefit of being the vampire. 
The other leagues I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to in my next section, are Dynasty Leagues, which is by far my favorite setting in any fantasy format. I have two leagues, the For the Throne League, which is my Dynasty League with a bunch of close friends, is by far my favorite league. And the other league I wanted to talk about is another Dynasty League. It's called the Sarcasta Ball League. It's 32 teams. I have a bunch of friends in it, but also a lot of randoms that are also diehard fantasy football owners. So we're going to touch on that in my next segment, which is all about Dynasty. And here we go. So it's time to talk some Dynasty football. If you like my podcast, I know that this section is going to be a little bit longer, but I can promise you that it's going to be incredibly worthwhile if you want to hear about something I'm very passionate about. If you love fantasy sports, if you have an interest in Dynasty or you just want to hear a little bit more about it, this section is going to be really awesome and I hope that you enjoy it. The point of a Dynasty League is you keep your roster for the entire existence of the league. You keep your entire roster unless you would drop or trade players. It gives you a really good sense of being a sports GM from a fantasy perspective. That's the thing I like most about it. I'm going to control the destiny in terms of if I'm going to be winning it for long term, rebuild. Again, that's the same exact process that any sports team goes through. There are five main settings that go along with Dynasty that you may come accustomed to. And the first one is just a standard, which means there's no kicker, no defense. It's just purely positional players. The second type is identified as a super flex league. I will tell you right now, this is the worst type of Dynasty, and I strongly suggest that you do not partake in it. Essentially what it is, is you can start multiple quarterbacks on a weekly basis. So you can start it in your quarterback slot, but then a super flex means you can start a running back, wide receiver, tight end, or a quarterback in it. The quarterbacks are going to put up a great amount of points. Now you have two of them in your starting lineup. If you do so, it's just dumb. It, it's not typical fantasy football. I strongly suggest that you do not do super flex. Additionally, in the draft, you see a lot more quarterbacks fly off the board early. It's just really, really bad. Another league I've seen, and I have no interest in doing it, but I know it's for those diehards, is what's called a salary cap league. It's identical to a dynasty, same exact format. The only difference now is they kind of follow the NFL salary cap. Each player is assigned a specific salary, and then you build your team off of that through free agency, through trades. If you would go over the salary cap, you're hit with a cap hit. To reciprocate that with fantasy football, you lose draft picks. Another league, and this is the one that I utilize, is what's called an IDP league. The standard league I just mentioned. Now I'm adding into a defensive perspective. IDP stands for Individual Defensive Players. With this, we are now going ahead and we're going to add in defensive players to our starting lineups. Not like your typical redraft league where you just add in a defense as a team, but now we're looking at individual players. I would say that all of these leagues use the free agent acquisition budget, which I've talked about in the past. If you're in a dynasty and it's like your standard waivers, 
you're going to run into some problems and it's pretty random doesn't give you as much ownership in terms of putting in claims for free agents now i want to hit on what those rosters and the bench look like both of them are pretty large if you think about your standard league we have quarterback two running backs two wide receivers or three we'll say two for now so that's five a tight end a flex or two flexes we'll say one for for standard purposes seven and then your bench is like eight players so you're looking at around 15. most dynasty leagues the roster as a whole is around the number of 30. my league settings includes 13 starters 15 bench two ir slots and then four taxi squad spots which i'm going to talk about a little bit later for my league and in most leagues in the dynasty, your bench is sometimes bigger during the offseason. I talked about that my league, there are 15 bench slots. During the offseason, there's 20 because we're coming off of a draft. Additionally, free agency opens up. It's just like your typical NFL league where their rosters expand during the offseason. Typically, in dynasty leagues, you see more wide receiver spots in the starting lineup or more flex spots. The reason for this is you have such large rosters, not necessarily for the amount of points that are scored, but it makes it more standardized and gives you more ownership to your team, trying to develop your starting lineup as a whole, but then also your bench. I did mention IDPs, which are individual defensive players. Most dynasty leagues either utilize this or no defense at all. I have never seen a dynasty league in which there are team defenses. That just sounds like a nightmare to me. Because if you think about how much defenses fluctuate on a yearly basis, rather than players, I could see a lot of people disliking that significantly. What some people do is they just put up a straight IDP flex or a couple slots in which you can start any defensive player that you want. It doesn't matter what their position is. Other leagues, they utilize the actual positions. So that's what my league does. We have three specific positions and then one flex. So we have a defensive lineman. We also have a linebacker spot. We also have a defensive back, which includes cornerbacks, who I will say if you get into an IDP league, cornerbacks should be avoided because they don't score very high. And then more specifically, safeties. Those are your high scoring at the position. A lot of IDP leagues give higher point values to specific categories such as sacks, tackles assisted tackles fumbles force fumbles recovered interceptions batted balls to give them more of a feel of importance in the starting lineup my league we don't necessarily do that so when you look at how many points in idp scores on a weekly basis it's not as significant i wish our league could do that but it would be a change that would need to be voted on just to give IDPs more importance in a starting lineup, in drafts, in trades. An example I will give, though, is Randy, who is the defending champ in my main dynasty league. He picked up a IDP from the San Francisco 49ers, and he actually carried him to a championship based off of a one-week performance. We know that fantasy is very random. Anybody can pop off at any point. Anybody can bust. All dynasty leagues have a rookie draft. So you have your inaugural draft where you draft everybody that's ready in the NFL, but then every single season, again, you keep your roster. To expand on your roster, you draft rookies. Typically, they are in the range of three to six rounds. 
ours this past year was four rounds. However, next year we're going to be going to six to give the potential to draft more free agents and more IDPs. If the IDP scoring is not very high, you very rarely see them go off the board. My league includes all free agents from the point in which our champion is named. So when Randy was named champion, our free agency locked immediately. So all the free agents that haven't been claimed in that period of time up until the rookie draft can be drafted. Some leagues, they just purely draft rookies. However, it's very, very standard for the free agency to be locked in the offseason to prevent people just going ahead and picking up free agents that get put into a great situation. Example I'll give is Hayden Hurst. He's the new tight end for the Atlanta Falcons. He was in the trio in Baltimore last year. He is now going to be the starting tight end. He's in a great situation. I could see him being a top 10 tight end this season. As a result of that, he was taken in our rookie draft in the third round because he's going to have great value. So it adds a little bit more juice to the rookie draft by doing that. All of these rookie drafts are also linear. Think about your redraft leagues. Most of them are snake format. So whoever has the 12th pick, they then have the 13, and then they need to wait an extended time. In Dynasty with rookie drafts, they're all linear. So whoever has the number one pick, they have the number one pick every single round, with the exception if they would trade that. Trading also is allowed throughout the draft, whether that be the rookie drafts or the veteran drafts. That is to go ahead and try to move up for a player you may like. If there's no one on the board you like, you can also drop down and then get additional capital. Speaking of trading, trading is essential in a dynasty league. This includes the initial draft, which a lot of people do. That may include just purely swapping draft spots with someone. That also includes in-season, and that also includes trading future picks when necessary. If you don't trade in a dynasty league, you are not going to survive. You're going to be like the Milwaukee Bucks before Giannis, stuck in mediocrity. It's not going to be good. You're going to be throwing your money away and not contending for a title. So when you start a dynasty league, and this isn't necessarily in the first year, the first veteran draft, but once the season starts progressing, and if you see that you're not the best team, you can't contend, Maybe you want to start shipping away some of your better players if they are up there in age, or maybe they just have a very deep price to help yourself in the future. If you're a really good team and you're maybe one step away or you want to solidify yourself as a championship contender, then maybe you want to give away some of your rookie picks or some of your young players to give yourself a more solid chance to win that actual year's title. We actually had that this past year from both extremes. Andy in our league, her team was pretty bad, if I'm being honest. And she did have the number one pick, and she grabbed Christian McCaffrey. So that kept her a little bit afloat and obviously won her some matchups. However, there is no chance at all she would even be contending for a playoff spot at this point. As a result of that, she traded Christian McCaffrey away before this year's rookie draft and she got three first round picks in the future and a second round pick. So four picks to help her rebuild that identity. Additionally, she had Travis Kelsey. She traded him, and I'm gonna talk about this later. 
She traded Travis Kelsey away for a second and a third and a young tight end in Evan Ingram. Again, she's trying to rebuild. It's going to be a multi-year process, but there was no way of her competing. Even if she made a trade and grabbed the star player, she's still going to be in trouble. Looking at her overview for the next two years, this year she had nine picks. So she had three firsts, two seconds, two thirds, and two fourths. Next year, she has 10 picks, three firsts, and three seconds is the big highlight. So you can see that she's going to be grabbing a lot of youth. Those guys early in the draft for rookies are usually going to be put into a great situation. They have a lot of potential, or it could be somewhat of a gamble that may end up paying off in the end. On the other end of the perspective, Randy had a really good draft. His team was really, really solid. He won a lot of games early and often. And he thought he'd be all in, not only on this year, but the next two years as well. To show this, he ended up trading away a first-round pick, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and Curtis Samuel, who's a young, somewhat of a prospect from the Carolina Panthers. He traded all four of those pieces away for Julio Jones. He also sent away Matt Breida, who's the new starting running back for the Miami Dolphins, two first-round picks two second round picks, and $75 worth of fab for Nick Chubb. Again, going all in, he is diminishing his future. However, it's paying off right now and in the near future. To look at his overview and the effect this has, this year he only had one pick. It was a fourth round pick. So we can see the clear effects of that. Next year he has six picks. He should have less picks. However, he pulled off a pretty bad trade that he won single-handedly with Justin. Justin had a pretty high price tag on Christian Kirk and gave him back a first-round pick. So now Randy has six picks. He should have in the range of three, but bad trade by Justin that ended up giving Randy a pretty massive win and refreshing his future just a little bit. However, it goes past that. In 2022, he only has three picks. Standard is six picks. He doesn't have a pick until the fourth round in that year. So you can see the effects of going all in right now versus cashing in on your future and grabbing more draft picks. A lot of people, when you join Dynasty, will say all in on youth. That's not necessarily the case because if all of a sudden you're just grabbing young players... There's a very high chance that you might be in that mediocre range for the short term. You still want to be competitive. The point in which you just continue and continue to add more draft picks, more young players, there is very diminishing value on grabbing and accumulating so many rookie picks and just young players because you don't know with young players that haven't proven themselves if they're actually going to work out in the NFL I also recommend that if you start a dynasty league or you get into one, you would utilize a trade calculator. They're very easy to find on the internet. There are free ones and paid ones. The paid ones are pretty cheap. So I did pay for one myself and it's $15 for the entire year. I know like Fantasy Pros and PFF, they have them as well. They're a little more expensive. You kind of get what you pay for. They give you a really good value on players. 
free ones i'll tell you right now i don't use them at all because you get what you pay for once again if you're getting a free one i'm assuming that they don't put much work into it if you do get a trade calculator though do not be the person that just makes trade decisions based off what the calculator tells you for two specific reasons number one that's very petty and then number two calculators should be utilized more as a starting point or an equalizer to find hey I want to know what this player or this pick's value is so that you can go about with trade discussions with people. I can say that in my league right now, there's about five to six people that use a calculator. However, they won't make a trade if a calculator doesn't show they're in the favor. Or they plug and play people into the calculator and until they're declared the winner by the calculator, they won't make the trade. I've had two or three people as well when I'm asking about a specific player they'll screenshot the calculator and send it to me and say, oh no, the calculator says I lose this. Who gives a shit about the calculator? Yes, it's a good starting point. But again, if you're just using a calculator, I'm not going to want to trade with you. That's just not good negotiations. It's all objective. I did mention earlier what a taxi squad is. I want you to compare this to an NFL practice squad. So the Green Bay Packers, for example, let's say that they have 15 people on their practice squad. They can call those people up at any time. The only difference between an NFL practice squad and a dynasty taxi squad is other teams can't come into your practice squad and take some of your players or sign them from your taxi squad. A taxi squad is a place that you can stash rookies. So these would be rookies that are kind of projects. They may have some potential in years to come, but maybe not in the near future. Some leagues also utilize taxis to stash second-year players, again, that may be projects, but do have the potential. Taxi squads do not count against your roster size. So it's just like an IR. Think about it in redrafts. When you go ahead and you pick someone up, they're injured, they're going to be out for a couple weeks, but they're a really good player. You can stash them on your IR and then pick someone else up. When you put players on the taxi, you can pull them off at any time. However, if you have a full roster with your starting lineup and bench, you are going to have to drop someone. Additionally, once you pull a player off the taxi, they're on your roster for the rest of the season. You can't put them back. It's not like you can flip-flop back and forth. Another tip I'd give, and I've mentioned this in Redraft as well, is choosing a great platform. For me, for Dynasty, it's really Sleeper and nothing else. I know a lot of people use MFL, but I don't really like that. It is kind of a crappy website. I know some people still utilize ESPN. Again, I've already given my complaints about ESPN and how bad of a platform it is. I've also had people say, you know, Dynasty takes too much time. It's too complex. It's too much thinking. And I'm going to kind of give some counterpoints to that statement. I would argue that the amount of prep that you put into Dynasty is about the same as any other redraft league. You're either going to do research or you're not going to do research at all. The only thing that's different is you're expanding your knowledge to a perspective of long-term rather than one year. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, he should be retiring in the next five years. For dynasty purposes, he's probably going to drop way down. It's the same thing as redraft, but you know that his shelf life is pretty low. So if you already have a good quarterback for your franchise, maybe you can dish him away for a pick or for another young player. For someone that may be competing and want him as a depth piece for themselves. Again, it's about the exact same prep as the redraft league. Regarding future drafts, 
think about it like this. You're also doing less research because your drafts are shorter. They're in the range of three to six rounds compared to redrafts. They're around 13 to 18. You're picking less players. You have less picks. So there's significantly less research that's needing to be done than a redraft league. If you have an argument pointed towards, oh, well, I don't really want to care about my team during the offseason. I don't want to look into that. Like I said, most free agency is locked. Additionally, if you don't want to trade, you don't have to trade. You have other things going on. You may not want to be worrying about fantasy football, and that's perfectly fine. Regarding trade offers and sending trades, it takes a similar amount of time as it does in redraft to negotiate and actually pull off a trade. You know, you got to go look. Do I want to get rid of my picks? You should know by now if you're not a good team, maybe you want to rebuild with youth and more picks. If you're all in, again, you should be looking for players that are going to help you win that year, maybe the following year, and even the year after that. Versus redraft, we're only looking at, hey, who's going to help me win a championship this year? It doesn't matter about future years. Setting lineups, it's identical. You still have to go through your decision-making process on any Thursday, Sunday, or Monday. Yes, you have more options available, but you should know when it comes to setting your lineup which players shouldn't be coming anywhere near your starting lineup at that point in time. The last thing I'll say about Dynasty versus Redraft is when you win a game or you win a title in Dynasty, it is substantially more satisfying than it would be in a Redraft. You have that feeling of being a GM Versus in a redraft, yep, that's cool that you're going to get the money, you're going to get the trophy, but then again, next year, it just completely refreshes. If you have a completely stacked team, you may not have a stacked team the next year. You could go from first to worst very easily. In Dynasty, if you're a solid team, you're going to be sticking around for quite some time. So I'm going to hit a quick break here, and then I'm going to come back and talk about my team in For the Throne Dynasty. <laughs> Year one for me was not the best. I ended up with a record of six and seven, yikes. Highlighted by, however, injuries to Mahomes and Saquon. Without that, I was only a game out of the playoffs. I think I would have definitely made it. I started my draft by getting Stefan Diggs, Evan Ingram, James White, Chris Carson, James Washington, and Keenan Allen. Now I'm highlighting all of those players because none of them are with my team anymore. A lot of trading took place. Mid-season, I did trade Diggs and a second-round pick for Julio over to Danny. I also then traded Julio to Randy for three picks. So first, a second, and a third, and Curtis Samuel. So I got four pieces for Julio. We did have a little bit of <laughs> drama in our league, and this is, this is what any league goes through right at the beginning, just trying to find the perfect people for your league. So we had one person quit because he didn't think that he should be punished for not setting his lineup three straight weeks. In any league, that should be punishable. To put his knowledge into perspective as well, with his initial draft, he took four LA Rams in his first five picks. Yikes. We also had to kick another person out because he was harassing all of our members in our league. Not the best person. As well as he was providing endless amounts of negativity. You know, when Randy says that someone is a problem, they're a problem. And it was very unanimous that he had to go. So we replaced both of those people with Danny's brother, Michael, 
who was incredibly pumped to get into our league. Didn't know anything about Dynasty, but Danny filled him in, and he was beyond ecstatic to get involved. We also replaced with one of Tyler's friends, Steve, who is still in the process of learning the league, how it works, how the system works. We'll see if he becomes as active as the other 11 owners. I know he was not responding to a lot of people trying to trade with him. The hope is that he gets to that point. I'd say that we're in a very, very good place with 11 of our 12 people being very active in the chat, pursuing trades, putting people on the trading block. So it's, it's very exciting to be involved with. I put both of those replacement owners into an expansion draft in which all of their players were put into a pool and then they were able to keep four players from their current rosters. They also kept their current pick situations. So I know Steve, his other owner, had traded his first round pick. So he unfortunately had to keep that situation. Our league has been very, very active. This includes, to this point, as of May 28th, we have seen 36 trades this offseason. So that was in the last four or five months. From our recent rookie draft, we also had 34 out of the 48 picks exchange hands at some point. That's around 70% of our rookie picks had been traded. Looking at year one, the champion was Randy. He defeated Ryan, who was the top seed. It was the number two seed over the number one seed. To put into perspective how well Ryan kind of capped his season, he did draft Lamar Jackson in the 10th round of our initial draft, so that was big. My offseason has been the biggest highlight for my team thus far in only one year of existence. I'd say that I made at least 10 trades. I'm going to go through some of the highlights. I traded Curtis Samuel, who I mentioned I previously traded for, and my number 11 overall pick for Michael Gallup. I also traded Drew Locke, who was on my taxi, and two second-round picks for the number three overall pick in this previous draft. I also traded Chris Carson for James Conner and a second-round pick. I traded Keenan Allen, my number three overall pick, and a second-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins and the number 13 overall pick. That was by far my biggest trade I've made so far. I also traded Evan Ingram, a second-round pick, and a third-round pick for Travis Kelsey. Mohamed Sanu in a third for A.J. Green. The number 13 overall pick and my 2021 first-round pick for the number 10 overall pick, which ended up being Jerry Judy. I pulled that trade off in the middle of the draft. I have no idea how Jerry Judy fell all the way to 10. I also ended up trading James Washington and $25 of offseason fab for Tony Pollard, who, again, I said is one of the top running back handcuffs. I traded a third-round pick and $6 of offseason fab for Paris Campbell, who is going to be in the slot for the Colts. And then my last one that I did was Chase Edmonds, who is Ryan's handcuff now, to Kenyon Drake for Justice Hill and a 2021 fourth. Additionally, every year, Justin and I, we always swap fourth-round picks for pure comedy. We love doing this. It's so random, but it's just become a yearly tradition. 
according to Randy, all of the trades that I previously mentioned and the way that my roster currently looks, he identifies me as a top three team and views me as the biggest fear to him repeating. I'd say Randy is in a three to four year window of competing for championship. He is the top team and will be for the next few years. Looking at my team, I have the top dynasty quarterback. I have the number two dynasty running back. I have a top five dynasty wide receiver, and then I have the top tight end. My issue is going to be with my running back two if James Conner can't stay healthy. My wide receiver two is a little tough as well with Michael Gallup. Again, I think he's going to have a good year long term. There may be some issues there with C.D. Lamb now being in Dallas. And then my flex is just going to be a little difficult especially on bye weeks to see who I start I do have one of the top teams however looking at Randy's team it's pretty stacked so he has Russell Wilson at his quarterback for running backs he has Nick Chubb Dalvin Cook and Miles Sanders who he ended up grabbing in the first round of our rookie draft last year at wide receiver he has Mike Evans Odell Beckham Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, who A.J. Brown, he got in the middle of the second round of our rookie draft last year. Absolute steal. His tight end, he has Dallas Goddard. At defense, he has Joey Bosa, Darius Leonard, and Jordan Poyer, who are all top five at their specific position. So he has an absolutely stacked team. He is going to be difficult to beat. First thing I wanted to do here is take a look at my team and my current roster And then I'm going to kind of talk about how my first year went with this league, as well as some key highlights, and then some trades that I've made in this offseason. So this is my team in For the Throne. At quarterback, my depth includes Patrick Mahomes, Ryan Tannehill, Tyrod Taylor, Taysom Hill, and Jalen Hurts. Looking at a couple of those players, I have Jalen Hurts on my taxi. We'll see what happens in Philly, but Carson Wentz is never healthy. And they did use a second round pick on him, so I think it's a good pick for me. I also got him in the fourth round of my rookie draft. Taysom Hill, a lot of platforms are changing him in terms of position flexibility from quarterback over to tight end. So as long as he is not named like the franchise quarterback, he could be a nice flex piece for me going forward that I don't have to start my quarterback position. And then Tyrod Taylor, I just picked him up. He's just kind of a prospect at the moment. If Justin Herbert is named the starter from week one, Tyrod Taylor will be a drop for me. My running backs include Saquon Barkley, James Conner, Ronald Jones, Rashad Penny, Tony Pollard, Naheem Hines, Justin Jackson, and Justice Hill. You can see by count that's eight running backs. A lot of those guys aren't going to see my starting lineup right now, but they are good depth pieces for bye weeks as well as if someone would get injured, the person in front of them would get injured as well. With Ronald Jones, we'll see what happens in Tampa Bay, knowing that they did pick Keyshawn Vaughn. Ronald Jones is currently the guy. He can't block, but he had a really solid season last year. A good sophomore season compared to his horrible rookie year. Looking at some of those other pieces, Rashad Penny, yes, he's hurt all the time, but Seattle also did spend a first-round pick on him. I still like the perspective of him being there. They're not cutting him. They're not trying to trade him. When he's healthy, he's good. He's going to start the season on the pup, but that's fine. Tony Pollard, I traded for him recently. He is a top three handcuff behind Zeke. If Zeke would go down or get suspended, 
that's a running back one right there on my team. Naheem Hines, the pass-catching running back for the Colts. Phillip Rivers is now there. He loves dumping it off to the running backs, so I think it could be a nice fit. Justin Jackson, now with Melvin Gordon gone, he's not going to be the starting running back. However, I could see him getting a lot more opportunity. I don't think Austin Eckler is fit to be a every-down running back. And then Justice Hill, he's a free agent next year. They have like six running backs in Baltimore now. I'm just kind of betting on and hoping that he lands with another team that gives him a higher opportunity. Looking at some of my highlights at wide receiver, I have DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Gallup, Jerry Judy, A.J. Green, Paris Campbell, and Alan Lazard. Michael Gallup, yes, they just did draft C.D. Lamb there in Dallas. However, he had a great year. He had a great finish to the year. Mike McCarthy's coming in. Heavy passing game. Dak Prescott's a great quarterback. I think there's still opportunity there. A.J. Green, I got him at a pretty low price. Win healthy with an asterisk. A.J. Green is a top 20 wide receiver. He is nearing the end of his career, but again, he has that high potential. Paris Campbell, I also just got. He's going to be filling in in the slot for the Colts this year. He didn't play most of last year due to injury. And then Alan Lazard is going to be a great wide receiver too this year for Green Bay since they didn't find it necessary to address the wide receiver position in either free agency, no Devin Funches doesn't count, or the draft. At tight end, then I got Travis Kelsey, I have Ian Thomas, and I have Chris Herndon. For Ian Thomas, he's now going to be the starting tight end for Carolina with Greg Olson leaving. Chris Herndon, tight end for the New York Jets. He didn't play most of last season due to injury and suspension. He is still young and does have some potential. Then for my IDPs, I have Yannick Ngakwe, who is with the Jacksonville Jaguars. A young budding star is dealing with some issues with the franchise, but I'm just hoping for a trade. I think Philadelphia could be an awesome fit for Yannick. He is a nice piece for me in the IDP department. I also have Shaq Thompson, who's nice. Luke Keekley retired, so he's going to be the guy in that defensive core. Harrison Smith, TJ Watt, Tracy Walker, who was a top five safety for the Lions last year. Javon Kinlaw, Derek Brown, and Kenneth Murray. So you can see I have a decent amount of IDPs. Some of those will probably be cut when we get closer to the season. But again, you only start four IDPs. I do have some solid pieces there. My taxi squad is currently full. I am going to be having to make five cuts. Free agency did open last week. So I did fill my roster to its max. Looking at my picks then for 2021, I do not have a first or second. But I have one third, two fourths, fifth, and a sixth. 2022 and 2023, I have rounds one through six. I did not trade those. And now I'm going to get into one of my most fun leagues that I recently created. It is titled the Sarcastaball League. I love Sarcastaball. It's so much better than football. I'm so glad they got rid of violence in sports. Because Sarcastaball is so super fun to watch. Woo! Nice job, CeeLo. Good to see you on TV some more. It's a 32-team dynasty league. So Joe and I had an idea of a 32-team league. He had been mentioning that he wanted to get involved with one. In most leagues that have 20 to 32 teams, you have clone players of each player. So example, Lamar Jackson, 
may have two, three of himself. So that would be like, if I wanted Lamar Jackson, I can take him, but then someone else could take his clone. We didn't want that. We wanted to get involved with a league that only had one version of each player. And we tried joining one, but it got very, very limited traction. So I ended up creating one, and I advertised the heck out of it. So I put it onto sleeper discussion posts. I put it onto Reddit discussion posts. Put it onto football guys, foot clan, etc. And we end up filling it, and we got 32 very, very active owners. By far, one of my biggest accomplishments when it comes to fantasy is making that actually happen. To make it feel like an actual NFL alternative, I made every single owner come up with a city that does not currently have an NFL franchise, and it had to have a decent-sized population, which was determined by me, and they needed to come up with a team name. After that happened then, Abby, my girlfriend, created 28 logos with color schemes because four insisted on creating their own logo or taking one that was already pre-created. And then we went with that. I know that a lot of people in our league were so excited when the logos came out. They look so cool. Gives them a sense of ownership. Now each team gets a quarterback and a tight end set. The reason for this would be Let's say that Lamar Jackson gets hurt, I have him on my team, and Joe has Robert Griffin. As a result of that, I'd be pretty SOL for the rest of the season because I don't have a backup quarterback. So we give the entire kit to a player depending on who they would draft. They have the ability to draft these positions whenever they pleased. We're operating on a 12-week schedule, so they're playing each team. We put everybody into divisions and conferences, just like the NFL. And you play each team in your division. You play some inner rivalry games, and then you also play from out of conference. Just like the NFL again, 14 teams make the playoffs, 7 from each conference, including all 4 division winners and then 3 wild cards. Joe and I also put together the schedule the main point of doing this was to avoid any disadvantages with quarterbacks or tight ends on buy. Primarily, Joe made this because he is just incredible when it comes to spreadsheets. It worked out so well, and the schedule looks incredible. It meets all of our expectations and all of our requirements that we set before even going into making that. Two big-time stories I've had from the last month of having this league include we have an owner named Neve. And he joined our league. He was so excited for it. He said he loved the idea behind it. And then probably about two or three hours later, he comments, wait a second, this is for money? And someone says like, yeah, that's what it says on the posting. And he says, ah, man, I might have to drop out. My mom won't let me pay. So everybody just burst out in laughter in the chat. That's not the funniest part, though. Two of our members in our league actually went ahead and split the cost to make sure that Neve could stay in our league. He told people that if he would win any money this year, it's going to be split among the two people that paid for his cost. Whenever someone was on the clock, he was so impatient. He'd be taking them like crazy, complaining about them not picking. So I blocked him a couple times. And then when he was blocked, when it was coming up to his pick... I would assign him like a random quarterback that was either retired or cut 
or a problem. So I gave him like Kaepernick. I gave him Jay Cutler. I gave him Trubisky, even though he's on a roster. Tony Romo, etc. And everybody was just dying at that as well. So I did a lot of trolling of Neve. He's fine now because the draft's over with. He's a great add to our league. Gives us another element of surprise and excitement. Another story I wanted to share was about this guy named Jay Friedman. He was one of the owners in our league when we first started. He was one of those people that didn't want us to create a logo because he said he had such a better logo. Well, he's from St. Louis, home of Bud Light, so that's an immediate turnoff right there. He also said he wanted to do the St. Louis Battlehawks. If you don't know who the St. Louis Battlehawks are, they are a recent expansion team for the XFL, which is now defunct. And I said, okay, that's fine. Let me just create you a new logo on our end. And we did. And he said it was crap. He said he doesn't want any of these logos. He thinks it's kind of dumb. And he ends up going with like a Googled St. Louis Battlehawks logo. Just a complete loser. He ended up trading like five, six times. He took the L in just about all of them. He takes Mark Andrews with the 16th pick after trading up for him and then gets the Ravens tight end set. So that was just bad right there. Yes, Mark Andrews is going to be a top tier tight end, but there's substantially more value at other positions, especially in such a big sized league. And then probably like 14, 15 picks later, he says, so how's it going to work on bye weeks? We're getting the average amount of points that that player has had, right? And I said, uh, no, we have never discussed that. I think I discussed that one time in the initial thoughts of the league. He completely freaked out. Oh, man, this is bullshit. Oh, you said that I'm going to get the average amount of points for this player on his bye week. And literally everybody was backing me up and said, no, that was never put into place. And he starts freaking out. And he's like, oh, there's people that are drafting on bye weeks in this league. And this was probably two or three weeks before the NFL schedule even came out. So we didn't know what bye weeks were. And everybody's like, dude, bye weeks aren't even existing right now. And then he sends us this crusty ass link to a list of who each team's opponents are, which by the way, we knew when the season commenced for 2019. And he says, look at this, you could see all the bye weeks. And everybody's like, dude, there's nothing in there about bye weeks. And then he says, well, look on Sleeper right now. All the bye weeks are already in there. And we're like, no, those are bye weeks from last year. And he starts freaking out. He sends us this link and he says, oh, they were just leaked. These are the bye weeks. And it was from The Onion. So that's very reliable, right? Yep, The Onion. Eventually, he ends up dropping out of the league. So then we had to find someone else. Luckily, my roommate Ryan was able to fit right in. That was just a complete ridiculous moment. I also reported him to Sleeper, and he got kicked off, so that was a big-time accomplishment. But people love this league, and they love the engagement in it. They love the idea of the logos. I also created a Twitter account to go along with this for all news related to the league. I do fake press releases. I do fake hype videos. I gave round-by-round draft reviews with teams on it. I announced trades, everything to go along with it. It's a huge hit. Just about everybody in the league follows it, except for people that don't have Twitter because they think Twitter sucks and they'd rather stick to Facebook. Yikes, boomers. Every single year after our initial, it's going to be a one-round rookie draft. 
So remember when I mentioned about Jay Friedman or whatever the heck his name is, and he traded away a future first-round pick? If you're not a good team, that's not going to be good not having a pick. Free agency is pretty trash as well, as you can imagine, with 32 teams and being a deep draft. Going back to the rookie drafts, also all non-playoff teams or whoever has taken one of their picks in a trade, it's going to be completely randomized, 1 through 18, for order purposes. This is to prevent against tanking or roster negligence. It keeps the league in a really solid place. We also have a team in our league called the Scranton Beats, and they have all rookies on the team, with the exception of the backup quarterbacks and the backup tight ends. They have all rookies on the team. We'll see if that ends up panning out. I mentioned that you get a quarterback and a tight ends team set. They do not need to be the exact same team, but I waited off on quarterback and tight end with the hope of getting more depth for my team. I ended up with the Jaguars quarterback set and the Jets tight end set. So Gardner, I love Gardner. He brings a lot of excitement to the league and memes. But another reason why the Jags is such a great spot there is if the Jaguars would draft any quarterbacks, I automatically get them on my team. I don't have to use a rookie pick on them. If the Jags would draft Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, I automatically get them on my team. So that's quite exciting. After that, then I have Sony Michelle, Devontae Adams, DJ Chark, and Will Fuller for the rest of my starting lineup. Someone ran all of our rosters through Fantasy Pro's ranker. I ended up ranking number two. I don't really think that's the case, but I think that my lineup is pretty solid and hopefully will be competitive. If you have an interest in following the league, you can follow it on Twitter at Sarcastaball, S-A-R-C-A-S-T-A-B-A-L-L. Also, if you have an interest in taking over one of the teams, if someone would drop, I've already started a waiting list for that. It's very active, everybody loves the league, and we're looking forward to see how that goes in the future years. So that's what I got about Dynasty Fantasy Football. I'm going to be coming out with an episode in the next couple days that brings in a guest speaker, Will. He's going to be talking about how we met and then also his perspective on Dynasty. So I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for joining, and hopefully you learned a thing or two about fantasy football as a whole. Welcome back to Rome. We're going to talk some Sarcastaball. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk Sarcastaball because it's really compelling. Joining me now is the coach of the Denver Broncos and the inventor of Sarcastaball, Randy Marsh. Thanks for calling in, Randy. Really happy to have you on the show. Yeah, it's awesome to be on your show. Randy, first off, thanks for taking a sport that we all love and turning it into a sarcastic nightmare. Way to go. Thanks, Jim, because it's totally what I intended. You know, when I came up with the idea, I was sure it was going to end up like this. Well, it certainly makes for an exciting game. How about last night's nail-biter that ended 0-0? Zero to zero? That's a game I want to watch twice. That's a game I want to watch four times. Check that. I'll watch that game five times. 